0: Welcome to another episode of the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. I'm Joe Sullivan, your host and a co-founder of the industrial marketing agency Gorilla 76, where we help B2B manufacturers grow through revenue-focused marketing programs. More often than not, great leaders don't have all the answers. And in fact, a big part of what makes them great is their willingness to embrace that simple fact. My guest today is a manufacturing leader who was never the resident expert in his organization. But owning that is exactly what helped him drive their success. In this conversation, he'll tell you how he did it through the lens of what he calls the three pillars of impact for manufacturing leaders. Let me introduce him. A 30-year veteran of the semiconductor industry, Tom Brown is an experienced executive leader who led the transformation of what is now a world-class manufacturing organization. Tom used a grassroots approach to build connections with employees, creating a shared vision that helped employees feel ownership and accept the challenge to be part of a new culture. That employee-led culture used lean, 5S, and continuous improvement methods to drive waste reduction with an annual impact of 10% of cost of goods sold, a 6x reduction in scrap rate the first year, and multi-year Intel Epic Supplier Awards. Tom now uses his impact of proven leadership with other organizations. He's been a board member of Missouri Enterprise, part of the NIST MEP National Network since 2013. Through his company, Serve to Lead, Tom now shares his experiences through consulting and being a frequent speaker and presenter at many leadership and manufacturing conferences. Tom, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks, Joe. Appreciate you having me.
0: Awesome. Well, Tom, I know you spent 30 whole years inside of the same manufacturing organization. I commend you for that. You don't see that too often anymore, Uh, but working your way up from the photocopy guy into senior leadership. I love that story. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey?
1: Yeah, I spent 30 years at Brewer Science. They're a uh, a material supplier for the semiconductor industry, so really high-tech chemicals that are going in to help make computer chips. A lot of the stuff you're probably using, our material probably went in there to uh, help produce those chips. Yeah, so I started in uh, college, graduated here in, in Rolla. Back then it was University of Missouri Rolla, the engineering school, and I went to work for Brewer Science and man, I they they brought me in as a part-time employee, you know, it was one of those up and down cyclical nature of, of the industry. Yeah, they, they brought me on, and I, I was I was part-time during a hiring freeze. So, again, not the most popular guy. They got a hiring freeze on. Some people were taking some time off without pay, but they were busy, they were really busy. It was just that one of the big customers that's really no longer in the chip business now, they had taken a turn for the worse, and so things were down. But man, everything was going. So I came on and We joked about it, my uh, 25-year celebration uh, for working there, that uh, if they would have had the photocopiers that they had now, I never would have been hired because they collate and staple. So, yeah, that was a big deal how I started out. Um, Worked my way up through the company, went to the field, uh, was a regional kind of a manager for really kind of sales and tech support, and then uh, spent 25 years in management, came back to, to Rolla. Everything from customer support and logistics, did uh, the customer service aspect of it, IT, led the Oracle implementation for our ERP system. I was in charge of the operations, information systems, quality systems, and then on the business side as well. So kind of the whole gambit there at Brewer Science. So I uh, saw a lot of it. It's been about 13 years as, as an executive there. And a lot of that was uh, leading the transformation uh, to become a world-class manufacturing company. Um, yeah, so I, that was kind of a, that was the one I think I probably had the most enjoyment in because that was one where my leadership, I think, really came out, right? It really fostered it because you had to go from a, a production company that was kind of struggling. We were a high-end technology company, always on the leading edge, 25% going to r and I mean, we were committed to R&D. And also the owner's like, hey, Tom, we need manufacturing to be a core competency. Said, well, why why? Why don't you just outsource it? Right. Get, get one of those, those big companies to do it. We'll just stay with the little niche stuff. he goes, we got to have manufacturing be a core competency so we can sell our technology. And that was it. And uh that kind of led the, the transformation and, and the way we had done it was was really a, a
0: it was an enjoyable process, a lot of great things that I've kind of built on since then. That's great. I love the stories of um, you know people who got their hands dirty first they you know saw all these different roles and how you know how the company works at so many different levels and kind of worked their way up through the company. you're a really good example of of that. so it's um it's it's cool to hear you talk about it.
1: Yeah, it's always a good challenge. I mean, again, you, you get a touch, get some diversification in there, you build relationships, you build connections along the way. And then you're, you're kind of a known commodity and it makes it a little bit easier. So we can have those relationships when it comes time for leadership and then then obviously the management activity as well.
0: Well, Tom, as my business partner, John and I have grown our own business uh, from the two of us to about 30 strong now over the last 17 years. We've always made a point of hiring people who are deeper experts than we are in every different facet of the job that kind of makes up our, our company. And at some point I remember kind of talking to him and thinking, like, geez, we we're not really the we're not really the pros at this or this or this anymore. We we're we're good at it, but we've got really deep experts here. And maybe over here we don't even know we don't even know how to do this part of the job. I know this whole idea of you know leading when you are not the resident expert at X or Y or Z is a topic that you've written about, spoken about. I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about you know, how to lead under those circumstances.
1: Man, that that is so true. I went through that and I, I made sure I, I am not an expert. I, I got a degree from, uh, again, University of Missouri and was engineering management, which is really about manufacturing, packaging and, and leading people. So while it was in my kind of like bailiwick, I was not an expert in any of those things. I've never made a product. Right. i had never been uh, doing the work on the manufacturing floor. Uh, they want to start talking chemistry. You know, I'll be honest. I mean. I start making up things and saying, oh, hey, that's why they call it a polymer. You know, I'm trying to be trying to be funny because that was not my strength. But man, if, if you're willing to embrace it and let the people do what they do, I mean, you just can get out of the way. And and it was one of the big challenges I had seen that, uh, especially with a company that was so heavy in PhDs. I mean, we had PhD engineers, chemists everywhere. And then who am I walking into a meeting? You know, it was it was a little tough. It was a little tough at first, and then you know, when you're young, and it's not even really young. It's just when you're immature as far as leader goes. You know, it, it's hard not to get defensive, right? Somebody's kind of kind of coming at you, and you're like, "Well, what the heck's going on?" And and you kind of find yourself, you know, wanting to defend yourself and wanting to show who you are, and and you just can't do that, man. That is the one thing that I don't think you can do at all, and it's hard. I mean, it, it's it's a hard thing not to to get go down that pathway. But when people are the experts, they're going to, you know, they, they may come after you a little bit and you got to be willing to accept it, accept that that's how it is. Defend a little bit, you know, because you can't just be a pushover. But what I really focused on was them and their expertise. And that's what I found is I just leaned into it. You're right. I'm not the expert. And, and that's why you're here. And that is why you are here to bring this to the table. And then you highlight it every time you can. And you highlight everything that they're an expert in, and you play to that, you play to that ego, you bring them in. And then you start asking questions, right? Cause it's, it's not my, the, the owner of our company, um, he had brought me in early on in my management career. And he's like, Hey, listen, Tom, you know, you, you're not the expert. And, of course, he delivers it as a PhD, you know, entrepreneurial type person would probably not with the most uh, compassion to me. And I, I think he saw probably on the look on my face that what the heck, you know, did, did I just get insulted here? And then he's like, oh, no, I just mean it's, it's great that you're not the expert because you can then play a different role and you don't have biases and you don't have your own, you know, that you're looking for a solution. And that was a big thing for him was always about the questions and not about the answers, not about the solutions. The questions were far more important. And so that was the role I took and I embraced it. And I'd ask him questions. Oh, hey, wait, no, you know, I'm not an expert in that. Can you can you explain that to me again? Okay, no, why are you thinking that way? And I, I need to understand the why. Come back to the why for me. So we would do a lot of those things and you would see as they would start explaining it, their mind would be going, right? And they went from going, yeah, yeah, I'm the expert. I know what's going on. To all of a sudden, they're like, Wait, one second. Now, why is that the case? And you kind of see them asking themselves. And again, they find their own solution, right? They, But it's not maybe the one they looked at. And yeah, that was one of the things I'd found is, so if you can build connections, I started off by building mine kind of at a grassroots level. I had little connections across the company, right? Little little, little pieces of people that I would engage with, had a good relationship. Like I said, kind of got, gave me street cred, if you will, right? So when I walk into a meeting... This person's got my back. They understand. They'll be supportive. They'll say good things as we're engaging. You know, no, no, no. Tom's trying. You know, he 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 cares because um, I had that relationship. And as you got bigger and you got you know into larger groups, and all of a sudden you know you got 250 people you know in your organization, now you don't you can't have those little one on ones anymore, right? So you got you got to build them up differently. But it's still they got to feel that connection. So I expanded how I had done that, how I engaged people. You let them be the experts. They know they're the experts. You remind them that they're the experts and you celebrate when they do expert stuff. And I think that was part of the, the big thing for me was you get out of the way. You know, I always say leaders lead. And that's kind of just a, a phrase I'm only a leader's lead. But again, that doesn't mean you do. And so you live out your actions. You don't always have to do the actions of things. And I think that was one of the, uh, the lessons we had learned when we went through operation activity is. I wasn't going to be pushing the, the, the vision for everybody, you know, and again, and, and you know, a lot of the people, I think, think the the owners will have the vision. It's not that they don't have it and they have an idea of it, but connecting that vision of an owner of a leader to the employees is tough. And sometimes it's tough for the experts because most experts, right. They just want to do their thing. They want to create something. They want to get recognition for what they've done. They want to show how smart they are. They want to prove they're the expert, especially in the technical industry. You see that a lot. They are they are their job. They're, they are their results, and you know, as a leader, you know, you're about impact, right? You're about making impact and expanding things, and about growth and opportunities. You're not necessarily about the, you know, or at least that was my approach. I, the results would take care of themselves if you take care of you know of the people in the process, and so that's kind of how we went about it. And um, yeah, we just kind of got out of the way, let them do their things. Let them paint themselves into that picture, let them take ownership of it. And then they started seeing the impact that you had because hey, maybe their job got a little bit easier. Hey, maybe you helped get some roadblocks out of the way. Maybe the fact that now that group was who was a silo for another group are now talking because you're part of a shared work team where you have experts across what different areas. You know, it's the manufacturing people used to always be the ones that would always kind of be looked down upon by the scientists. That's how it seemed, right? Because they weren't the PhDs. Well, when they started realizing that, hey, look at what these guys did to their scrap rate. Look how they got that down. Look how they delivered improvements and processes. And I'd always point out, wait, 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 who designed that process that was struggling? Wait, wait. I would like, so the expert struggled on that one. So it wasn't the manufacturing person. And I would actually bring it back to them in, in a nice way. And we'll talk about that, you know, probably later about the courage to challenge, but sometimes you got to do it. And and those egos have to come to realize that other people are experts. They may not be your expert, me in that area, but they're also experts and they deserve that respect along the way as well.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I imagine that some people in leadership positions feel this pressure to have all the answers or to, you know, like they're supposed to know what to do in every situation. And I think it takes, you know, it takes some humility and you know to to say you know and to say publicly in front of your team too like listen I I am not the expert you are and I'm here to help you you know get to the solution and provide the support but you know we hired you because you're you're the pro and I imagine it builds a lot of trust with the team I mean I know it does because I, I I do this myself right and I see I see this in my own my own world but I think it it builds trust. And also just, I think you become a more likable, respected person when you don't pretend you've got all the answers and you just trust people to do their job and to support them in ways that you know they need support. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I always say, I mean, it comes down to it is people want to make a difference. They want to make an impact. They want to know what they do matters and that's it. And they want to know it. And again, how that happens, how it goes, that's a whole different, I mean, that, that's different, right? So it could be just the numbers and that's maybe what somebody wants to see is, you know, the quality, the patents, whatever else. But there's always something deeper when you when you can connect what that patent meant, right? What that technology advancement meant, what that improved process quality or hitting a, a spec performance meant. When you start connecting to that, then they know they're part of something bigger. Oh, that's impacting, you know, this product or this revenue or that customer or, This community, because now, you know, these people have additional jobs or bringing in more jobs. It's people want to feel impactful. And, and you're right when you can get trust and have that vulnerability and have those connections, man, you can, yeah, you can just make a lot of good things happen.
0: Okay, let's take a quick break here. I'm really excited to announce an incredible event our team at Gorilla76 will be co-hosting in late January and early February of 2024 in Austin, Texas, just for marketers in the manufacturing sector. I'm going to hand it to our strategist, Peyton Warren, to give you the details.
2: Hi, I'm Peyton Warren, strategist at Gorilla76. Over the past few years, our team has been running twice-per-month digital learning events for industrial marketers called Industrial Marketing Live. It's been a huge success and we're seeing 50 to 100 manufacturing marketing folks show up regularly. But one thing this group has told us is that they've been itching for a live in-person event just for them. Well, we're super excited to be teaming up with True Marketing and Kadena's Part Solutions to deliver exactly that. January 31st through February 2nd of 2024, we'll be co-hosting the Industrial Marketing Summit in Austin, Texas. We have an incredible lineup of speakers for day one who will be covering topics that include SEO in the dawning era of AI, high impact product marketing, elevating the role of marketing within your manufacturing organization, and giving out a demand generation playbook for B2B manufacturers. And that just skims the surface. On day two, we'll be conducting in-depth breakout sessions to go deeper on some of these key topics and help you apply them inside your own organizations. Not only will this be an intensive learning event with some of the sharpest minds in the industrial marketing space, but we'll be hosting social events in the evenings with great food and venues for networking with other manufacturing folks who are trying to solve the same kinds of marketing challenges you are. We're limited to 300 seats, so visit industrialmarketingsummit.com to learn more and reserve your ticket. We'd love to see you in Austin.
0: Tom, I've heard you talk about what you call the three pillars of impact for manufacturing leaders. Can you first tell us kind of concisely what those are? And then I'm going to come back around and have you break them down in detail.
1: Okay, yeah. Yeah, so three pillars of impact, I talk about that being the building of a culture of success. And, and that's really was kind of summed up about my uh, effort in the um, leading the world-class uh, manufacturing transformation, right? And so that kind of culminated in these three pillars of impact. So the first one is courage to challenge. Uh, the second one is expect excellence. And the third one is empower others. And so those kind of all came through. And it started because the, the owner of the company was talking about, man, we're, we're struggling as we you know, grew in size. We're trying to bring in new employees. And, and you're trying to um, get them caught into the culture and the history of what we had. And and I'm like, well, you know, Terry, I've been I've been having these conversations with people and I talked about our transformation and how I got all of our team together. And and we had seen it happen. We'd seen the groundswell and everyone getting on the same page. And um, as we went through that, I said, well, you know what? I'm just going to call every employee we hired that came into our organization. I gave him a phone call before we kind of extend the offer. And I was just like, hey, you know, I'm Tom Brown. I'm the executive director of this. And and hey, I just want you to know our, our team wants to hire you. But before you accept that offer, I, I got to talk to you. I got to tell you what I need from you. And then I just started spelling things out. Well, what I spelled out were these three pillars. You know, I need them to have the courage to challenge. I need them to expect excellence from their self and others. And then I need them to be in a spot where they can either empower people if they're in leadership or they can, be, they can receive it and they can accept it and they can let people engage them and challenge them and help them grow. And I go, and if you can't do that, I go, then don't be part of our company don't take the offer, go, go somewhere else. I go, that's uh, nothing against you. I go, if it's not for you, then we don't, we don't want you here. I don't want you in our group. I go nothing personal, but we need to have it done a certain way. I got to have people that are going to be drivers. They're going to be, they're going to be winners and and they want to be part of something big. And if not, if that's, if that's scary for you, I go, it's understandable. Not everybody wants to do that. I go, Then don't take that job. And so that's kind of how this all came about. And I started writing about it and, uh, yeah, it was kind of kind of a fun way and it kind of captured what we had done and and it's proven. I mean, it it's kind of built up over my career, but man, that transformation, we went from again, a point where we were struggling to to winning awards. So yeah, kind of a proven way.
0: Well, I'd love to have you break these down a little bit. So these three pillars of impact that you've defined are one, courage to challenge, two, expect excellence, and three empower others. Others. Let's talk about that first one, courage to challenge. What's that all about?
1: Yeah, so so really, the courage to challenge is: are you gonna are you gonna ask questions? Are you gonna break out of the status quo, or are you just gonna accept things how they are? And especially if you're a new employee coming in, right? The the, the thing you want to do is you got to do your job. You're looking for the the experts to tell you what to do. You're being trained, and if you don't ask questions to why you're doing it, and if it doesn't make sense to you, ask the question because it maybe it just might be how it's been done. You know, we might have thought it was the best way, but maybe this person's coming in with a different perspective. And if you don't ask, and we just keep making that same mistake going down the road, because you know you did not have the guts to say, "Hey, hold on, Tom," you know what, what's going on here. And that's kind of where that one started. And it was really about you—you got to speak up. And we—we were, we were a, again privately held company, became an ESOP, and we had this culture that was pretty entrepreneurial, but we still had people that were hesitant, par- primarily because, like, when you go to their disc profiles. They were definitely on the eyes and then the analytical and then a lot of sensing people in there. So the drivers weren't really coming out as much on the eye side of it The kind of inspires the strategic people. It wasn't that it was more kind of the, the passive people that didn't want to really cause a lot of issues and just let me do my lab stuff. And so we had people that they thought it, but they weren't bringing it up. And so we tried to make a real safe place. So I'm just having the courage to challenge because. Anybody can do that. And, you know, let's be honest, there's a lot of jerks out there that can <laughs> can ask questions and challenge you that doesn't produce benefits that you want. So it's not just having the courage to challenge, really, it's how you challenge. So I talk about builders or blamers. Okay, are you building people up or are you blaming them for a situation? You know, and so really, it's how you challenge. My, my mentor one day had just talked to me about it and he goes, hey, Tom, is what you're saying helpful or harmful? Well, I got, got like a little defensive. I'm like, oh, of course, it's helpful. I go, I'm right. I, this is going to help the company. This is why this is going on. This is why we have to go down this pathway. It's obviously helpful because it might be helpful, but is it harmful? So if it's harmful, it's not helping. And I started thinking about it. Well, what he was getting at was the way I was challenging. It was how I was challenging. And, you know, sometimes if you're always kind of telling somebody they're wrong, you know, I mean, again, you know, I, I got four kids, right? And sometimes all they hear is the negative, right? And I'm not telling them the negative to, to beat them down. I'm I'm pointing out something that they need to change. But if that's all you're hearing is the negative, and you're not hearing about what the potential of it is, it's like when you say, uh, use but in a situation, okay, hey, you're doing really good on that, but, right? Okay, that, that's a negative. Hey, you're doing really good on that. Now, let's, hey, let's take it to another level. Okay, now it's different right now. It's like, okay, we're growing. And when he said that, man, you know, helpful versus harmful, that made a huge difference for me. And so what I started talking about was, okay, we got to change the tone and we got to change the direction. So again, it's how you deliver it, how you engage them. And then again, what you're focusing on, you know, are you focusing on what you did or you're focusing on what you need to do, right? And and those are two different things and looking at what happened. And again, lessons learned, Definitely got to do those things. But that's not where you stay, right? You use that to build a foundation for being better. And so that's kind of how we had gone about that is that courage and challenge. We used a lot of the disk profiles. We set up work teams, delivered expectations on everybody that this is how it is. You got to receive it. But none of that's possible. And you touched on it earlier, right? So trust, trust comes from transparency and vulnerability. That's kind of how we talk about it. And then obviously delivering on those actions. And that was a big thing. So I'm kind of a vulnerable guy, stood up in front of everybody, talked about my failures, talked about issues, apologized when I make a mistake. We started celebrating when people made mistakes because if they made a mistake, we found out about it. They caught it. And then so we started calling it the catch of the week, catch of the month. And then, what'd you do about it? So, I would, well, you yeah, know, we have 200 plus people in our operations meeting, and we're all in there in a big room. I'm like, hey, let's call on so and so over here and, hey, talk about something happened. What happened? And, you know, they're all embarrassed. They don't want to talk about it. I go, no, no, stand up. Let's go. Come on, look it up. Here. Let's talk about this. And they're all there. And I said, okay, here you go. And I hand them a gift card. I'm like, what? Is, why are you giving me a gift card? I'm like, okay, so let's go back to this. You had an issue and you scrapped, let's say, $5,000 worth of product, you know, coming up. I go, but you stopped before we got to another point that would have been, you know, maybe $70,000, right? And then it didn't get to the customer. So I go, right off the bat, man, you just saved us. You found something, you made a mistake, you fought it, you caught it, you got the engineer involved, you didn't try and hide it. So you had the courage to go out there to stand up and and we addressed it. Now I go, did you fix that problem? Goes, yeah, we did this on the you know on the design system on the software, and we have this all put in there. We got these controls in place. I go, Great. So, what about the other products? He goes, Oh no, yeah, we did it on the other products as well. So we found it was you know in this setting. No, we went through all of them. We talked to all the engineers, went across everything, so it wasn't just the fact that it was that one batch, right? And that one product, it went to all of our products, and then I'm just like, dude, I go, That is why we're celebrating, man, because you had the courage you know, to to stand up and do it. And again, building that trust and, you know, the vulnerability to to come forward, that's hard. But that led to an environment where you could challenge because you knew there wasn't going to be a backlash for it, right? I could bring it up. Hey, we got the same interest. We got the same thing we're trying to get to. So that's kind of how that one went. And that's really kind of how the courage to challenge was. And again, not necessarily everybody doesn't embrace it that way. But with our organization, we said, this is what we have to do because we can't be a world class manufacturing company if we don't have that. So that's what we did.
0: Yeah, I mean such a different culture than one where, you know, people feel afraid of, you know, having to admit their mistakes and cuz they feel like they're going to be, you know, somebody's just going to reprimand them and they're going to, you know, who knows what what the consequences are, but when when people constantly see that, you know, leadership responds in a way that you know applauds you for being able to admit the, the mistakes that have happened and and like you said find a way to learn from that and and be able to apply those learnings across other places where there are probably similar challenges and problems going on too i think it's it's really smart so tom we're talking here about the three pillars of impact for manufacturing leaders we just touched on the first one which is courage to challenge the second one you named is expect excellence can you break that down for us
1: yeah, so expect excellence, and I always make sure I point out it's yourself and others. But yourself is first for reasons. For a reason, right? It's not about hey, expect excellence in them and then me, right? Because you point a finger, and I always say there's one point and it's somebody else, and there's three coming back at you. So really, it starts with your standards. And with that, I talk about accountability, right? That's everyone loves accountability, loves the buzzword accountable. We got to hold people accountable. Got to talk about accountability. But again, when we say accountability, what are we talking about? holding somebody else accountable, right? Where We never bring it up and Says, you know what, I got to hold myself accountable to this. It's always another group. It is always about someone else. And so I, I really just kind of stopped that conversation about accountability. And I talked about ownership. And what we want to do is we want to have ownership where we don't have to worry about accountability because everybody owns their part. Everybody's part of something bigger. So that became, became our focus. And that's when I talk about expect excellence in yourself and others, high standards. We got to set those expectations. And if you have the courage to challenge, it's a lot easier. Because if you don't have the courage to challenge, then that becomes a little tough to have those expectations up there where they need to be. And one of the things I had done through all of this, and and it's always kind of hard where to introduce this topic, but I, I talk about a shared vision. And, you know, that's every company wants to talk about their vision statement and, you know, or mission statement, and then their values. And they kind of have this out there. And and with ours, it was really kind of abstract, you know, be a company of the people for the customer, buy the technology. Well, now you got to go do something with that. And a lot of the employees struggled. And so I, I use this thing about, let's paint a picture of that vision. And then as a leader, that's that was on me. But I wasn't going to be directive and kind of hand it down to say, hey, this is how we're going to do it. And this is what it's going to look like to you. So I, I, I'd paint the pictures, how i describe it. I would describe it. I'd talk about it. Can you see where I'm going with this? Can you see this place in the future? And then I would ask them questions. Well, how do you see that working? And, and and we'd start building on it together. And then what I'd gradually do then is so I'm up there. Let's say I'm painting on a picture. I'm being an artist. Then all of a sudden I go, hey, let me, let me show you how you fit in this picture. Here's where I see you working. And here's the role you're playing. And here's how you fit into this picture. And I always say, you know, when you see a group photo, right? What's the first thing you do? You, you look to see your, yourself in the picture, right? Everybody wants to know where they fit in. And that's what people look for. So I turn it from the vision to them being part of the vision. And then we talk about it, and how they roll into that and how their group fits into that. And then they can, you can see it starting the wheels starting to check, you know, turn in their head, they're, they're understanding, they're getting it. And then I start going, you know what? Hey, why don't you just take this brush and you start painting now? And I hand over the brush, I go finish it off. Talk about what do you think it should be? What's your role in this and how can you help this vision? You understand what we're talking about now, where we want to go. We see how the group is, but then what can you do within that? And there it is. There, There's your ownership, right? And you talk about the courage to challenge. We talk about the expecting excellence. Um, it leads us into how we empower. But at that point right then, they're bought in. They understand it. They know what excellence looks like because we just painted the picture of it, right? That's what's going to be our vision. And then I go into this whole thing about BBT, be better today. I stood up one day at a company meeting and I'm talking about continuous improvement and, you know, and I'm up there and I'm going to town and I'm walking up and down on the stage and, and I'm showing data and I'm talking about this person and that person and all the things they've accomplished. And, and I'm kind of a rah-rah guy anyways, and I'm enjoying it. And, and let's be honest, it's bragging. It's a lot of bragging up there. And it's not because it's not just the results, but it's how we did it. And it's of the mindset. So everything's about the mindset, right? It's not just about the actions and we're talking about these things. We're having a lot of fun with it. And, and I can see some people out there were like, yeah, yeah. And there I kind of go. And, you know, I'm kind of a high energy guy. And some people are just kind of hanging out. So I just finally said, well, I tell you what. I go, some of you I know aren't bought into this because this is our entire company. And I go, you know, I'm up here just talking smack. Maybe, I don't know. You're thinking I'm, you know, just up here bragging. I go, and you're rolling your eyes. And I go, if you're not rolling your eyes now, when you get back to your office, you're probably going to roll your eyes then. I understand. I got it. What I'm saying may not be for everybody. But what I'm going to ask you is this. If you're not better today than you were yesterday, then why the heck are you here? Then why are you here? If you're not here to be better today, to help us be better, to help the company have a greater impact, then why do you show up? I go, maybe that's the question you guys need to ask yourselves. And uh, Terry's in the front. He's our owner. And he's just like nodding like, yes, yes. you know. And And that was it. That was kind of the driver. And It went so far as, and I talked about um, on expect excellence, it's not a a scoreboard, right? So it's not, you're not playing a game and it's not about the scoreboard on the score because there's a lot of games where a team can play really, really well and they still don't win, right? And we know that happens. There's times, you know, maybe a player got hurt. Maybe the other team got really hot. Maybe the, you know, you got foul trouble. Maybe there's, you know, something else happened. The weather was different, right? Or they just had the game of their lives or the other teams just flat out better. So the scoreboard isn't the thing that I look at. I don't really look at those types of metrics. It's about the process, it's about the journey you're on. And are you being better today than you were yesterday? And as long as I can see progress towards this direction we want to go, that's really what matters. And so that was kind of our focus. And you know, in operations, you know, everybody wants to see like the OEE numbers and stuff. So my director of manufacturing at the time, he led all these work teams. And so he's goes, okay, I got these. I was asking, hey, we got to get some numbers in there. Let's get some operational efficiency numbers. And well, I'm looking at him, and like, but that's not following the, the the formula of it. That's not what we're looking at. And I go, everyone's different. Every work team had their own number. And I'm like, what are you doing, man? I go, and I kept on him. I kept on him. I'm like, no, I, I want these standardized, and we can benchmark against other companies and see where we're at. And finally, he just says, Tom, I'm not doing it. I'm like, what? You know? But he had the courage to challenge. He goes, Tom he goes. The the team set these numbers. This is what the team feels is important to be to work on. So they're better today than they were yesterday. This is what they feel will drive it. They're bought in. He goes, if I try to go and tell them, this is the formula. Hey, you guys, I want you to expect excellence of yourself and do all this stuff. But no, but you got to do it exactly my way. They've already figured this is what they want to do. He goes, let's let them do it. Let's make sure we get better on it and we'll go. And so it took a, it took me a while to let it happen, and then I, I was never quite comfortable with it. But you just saw it, and you saw their numbers. And it, all he did was average these numbers together that meant nothing, right? There, none of them are related. And he would just average them there. Look, we got it at eighty, we got an eighty three, and I'm looking going, it, it doesn't match up with anything I can think about as far as metrics and performance. But that wasn't the that's not what mattered, right? It, it was the buy in of the employees. And every time it started creeping up too high, he goes, man, that's, that's getting too high. We, we need to reset our standard. It's like, okay. Yeah. And they'd go back and they'd, they'd you know, change the, the metric to make it more difficult or set the goal higher. And, and, and they owned it. And everything they did was to get better and better and better. And then when things would come up, they would roll another one metric in there and they might drop one because one didn't matter anymore. They already hit that one. Let's get to another one. And that to me was a life lesson. Like I'd never had is where, Again, coming back, you think you're an expert. You think this is the way it should be done because this is how everybody does it. And we let the grassroots team of people that, you know, a bunch of those people didn't even have degrees. And they said, this is what they want to do because they know this is how it's going to make the process better. We said, okay, own it, own it. So yeah, that, that was kind of a great example. I thought on on, on having that uh, ex- expect excellence of yourself and others. And at that point I had to step
0: back and say, hey, I'm not the expert in this. They are and, and let them do it. Well, Tom, we're talking about Three pillars of impact for manufacturing leaders. Um, We've talked about the first two, courage to challenge and expect excellence. The third one is empower others. Can you break that one down for us?
1: Yeah. So this is the one that really, for me, uh, refined uh, or defined, you know, kind of the leadership activity that I went through the entire process. And we started off early on, you know, talking about not being that expert. And when you're not the expert, it's a lot easier to empower others to, to do expert type stuff, but it can't just be in, in their activities. And as, as I mentioned before, uh, you know, painting a, a vision, a shared vision, it can't be my vision and it, and it can't be just their vision. It has to be a shared vision. So we're aligned. So we come back and so we have the courage to challenge people because we we know that's there. We empower people to, to challenge us. We, we empower them to seek what excellence means and then to, to go pursue it. We set up work teams in our manufacturing process when we did this whole transformation to this world-class manufacturing uh, company, and we empowered the work teams to make their own calls. And we said, there's only two things that you guys have to seek guidance on. One, if it deals with change control, because we have a whole change control process, and that goes to the customer, so we can't mess with that. And the second one is if it's capital purchase, because again, we have a whole process for that. But as long as you get all the stakeholders involved and it doesn't impact change control, it doesn't impact capital, then you can make those calls. As long as you got everybody on board, we trust you. You don't have to come ask permission. You can get it done. And I mean, when they saw that and they saw the ownership and they felt the ownership, so it wasn't just the words, we had to sit back and let them happen. And The example I gave earlier about the operational efficiency number, we allowed them to set their own measurements of success. Not a standard, not a benchmark, but what they felt was important for their team to work on. They took all ownership of it, they owned it and they drove it forward. And so that that was a really big thing. And so really was creating that environment where, where people felt empowered. And we all talk about it as leaders. We all say, oh yeah, yeah, I want to empower my people, but do you do you really? and again, let's be honest, in the manufacturing realm, that means you're you're giving up control. And manufacturing is all about control. That is the entire thing about manufacturing is you have a process that's in control. And, um, and typically the people in there, they're control freaks. And um, now you got to give it up. And again, you don't get, you give it up within the framework, but if a shared vision is we're going to improve our, the control of our process, we're going to do this. And here's, you know, we set up standards and guidelines and they agree to it. Then you just empower them to operate within those, those guidelines, but you let them help understand the guidelines and let them be part of that guideline setting and so we talk about. I, I give an example of you know people rowing a boat, right? Like those, um, I can't even what they call them, the, the row teams, and 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 they're rowing, and you got the person out there, they're kind of chanting, you know, getting the cadence down, and and you got this group of six people out there on their oars, and they're each going, they're heading up and down the river, and you know they're 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 on that that they got to have a certain pace, right, and a certain strength. The left and right have to be the exact same. But so if you empower that group, what's going to happen, right? So what, what if the person in the front starts to row a little bit more than the person in the back or they want to take a break or they want to change a course? So if you know you got to be careful how you empower it. So there's always got to be guidelines. But if you get everybody on that same page and everybody has that shared vision, everybody knows where they're going and how they interact with each other. So you have alignment, you have agreement. That Now you got it. Now you can empower them. So empowering others, you can empower them to do things. But at the same time, if you don't have the courage to challenge then that empowerment's not going to matter if you don't expect excellence. Then that empowerment's not going to matter. So you, you got to kind of have it all three of them together, um, and that's what we had kind of done is we allowed it to to go. We empowered them to make decisions because they knew what we we wanted to do. They had the shared vision. They knew what the expectations were. They set the guidelines, and and yeah, that that's kind of how we pulled that through. And by doing all three of those pillars together, man, we we transformed it. And you know, we mentioned before we had a Uh, you know, scrap rate was like a six X reduction and that was less than a year. And it was, it was just such a transformation. We went technical, we put in a brand new facility, um, how we set it up, did controls like a 200 X increase in the amount of controls we were putting on our processes, did design FEMA's that were um, no longer kind of standalone, but we set up, we created our own database to build all those in and have the standards. So everything went back as we talked before is how do you make them systemic um same thing with our process fema's just everything became sort of a standalone activity we aligned everything outside of our work team outside of our organization finding experts along the way as we talked about earlier you know find your experts and, and let them be experts in what they do and, and just make sure you're helping them in the in the process
0: i really like the framework tom i can see how these things fit together and why you'd call them pillars for holding something up i mean it it all makes a lot of sense and yeah, I like how you broke it down. Can you tell us a little bit about you know, what you're up to now um, in your time since Brewer? And uh, I know you have your organization served the lead. What are you doing? Who are you working with?
1: Yeah, so right now, um, this has been, so again, it was 30 years I, I've been at Brewer Science. And again, 25 years in management, the last 12 years is a, as an executive leader. But as I went through this transformation and essentially from those three pillars that we talked about, it changed what I did, right? Because again, I was never the expert. So being the expert wasn't what I was about. The people that I was had the privilege of of, of leading and, and allowed me to, to, to kind of be their, their guide in some of those things, you know, they were all promoted. I mean, and I'm watching them flourish and I'm watching the success they're having. And my interest is not in in just the organization anymore, right? It's in that process. So what I found is, I, I spent more time writing on my blog, and then I'm I'm giving presentations, and I'm doing training, and I'm doing training on the side, and everything I did wasn't really about work or a, or a career, as it was about leadership and and in that process. So yeah, right now I, I'm working on this. So I got served to lead, and I've been providing. Training on the three pillars of impact, which has kind of been kind of the foundational piece, uh, giving talks to different companies and, and being part of panels and just enjoying the process. And one of the interesting things that I'll be doing uh here this week is I'm taking the three pillars, and I'm applying it into this the sports arena, which again, we talked before about kind of a passion for sports. And now you're applying it in how how do you build that winning culture within a, a framework of between, you know, kind of high school and college teams. And again, taking some of those same principles that have been proven in the business world and applying them back into in the sports world, you know, like PJ Flex says, you know, bad teams no one leads, average teams you know the coaches lead, but on elite teams, right, the players lead, and that's the exact same as whether you're in a workplace or you're um, you know on a sports team, and so that's kind of where I'm heading right now. I'm having a lot of fun with it. Uh, uh, the three pillars have been kind of a, a foundational piece for me, and. Yeah, working with a couple of organizations, contracting to them to come in and do some culture transformation with them, which was that was probably about the most exciting thing is uh, you're going into agencies and some of them are government agencies where you don't think about the push on culture. Right. Because, again, you have a kind of stereotype of, of the bureaucrats and and they're just punching the time clock and then you're engaging them and you're seeing, no, they want something different. They want to have that culture of transformation. They want to have connect to their values and have a vision. And they want to have that impact as well. And so I, I'm really blessed to be able to be part of an organization that's going around and doing some of that as well. It uh, just kind of ties in exactly what I was doing for the last you know 15, 20 years um, at one company. But now I'm able to do that at a bunch of other companies as well. So that's really
0: exciting. Love it. Well, congrats on what you've been able to do, Tom, and um, would love for you to just let our audience know where they can learn more about you and get in touch if they'd like to. Go to the website, I Serve to Lead. So the letter
1: I, serve, number two, lead.com. Um, you can follow up on my blog there, and I get some other activities in there you can talk to. Reach out to me, all my contact information's on there. Um, love to yeah hear you. LinkedIn, Twitter, have all of those on there as well yeah just uh, enjoy the community and that was one of the things joe was when I, when I saw your podcast I'm like, oh my gosh, I saw this, I saw the connection went back to your site and I'm like, you know founder and thinker, thinker and founder I'm like, what a concept I mean it's just I, just I just love that approach and you know going through those things and that's the amazing thing is out there in the in today in the in the industry it's it's not what it used to be right Manufacturing isn't what it used to be and it doesn't have to be it can be so much more, um, especially when you you know you, you realize that you can't delegate culture. the the culture is what you do. It's how you live it. Um, And as leaders, leaders lead. And that's what we have to do is we got to create those environments where the employees feel empowered. You know, they have the courage to challenge and and they can expect excellence from themselves and others on that. So really
0: appreciate you having me on, Joe. Well, I appreciate you doing it, Tom. Great conversation. And yeah, maybe we'll do it again someday for a follow-up.
1: That sounds good, Joe. Thank you very much.
0: Awesome. As for the rest of you, I hope to catch you on the next episode of the Manufacturing Executive. You've been listening to the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player.